We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, welcome into week 16 of this 2022 NFL season. And for the 9-5 Baltimore Ravens, they play host to the 5-9 Atlanta Falcons on Christmas Eve. Welcome into the vault. I'm Bobby Trossett alongside my partner and co-host, Sarah Ellison. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy holidays to you and yours out there. We are so appreciative of you. And it's been one heck of a season from a content standpoint. And my goodness, ever since the Browns loss, just one heck of a week content-wise partner, and we're going to cover a lot in this game preview episode, including a one-on-one conversation for the Falcons' perspective down in Atlanta with team reporter Tori McElhaney. But a few things right off the top, first and foremost, what's going on in the Ellison household? Uh, What's under the tree, if anything, right now? And how fired up are your four kids? Uh, We got, I've got about half the gifts wrapped. They are already like poking at it, shaking them. All that kind of stuff. We finally introduced Elf on the Shelf this year, which my kids are absolutely loving. It's just, they're just super excited, super excited. It's going to be a great, great Christmas. I think this is the last thing we're recording until, I guess, Christmas Eve. So it'll be nice to have a couple days with them to enjoy the spirit of the season. It's wild how the schedule played out this year, you know, with a Christmas Eve game, a New Year's Day game. But hey, That's just how it is in the NFL. And there's going to literally be about 20 different games to consume, by the way, on on Christmas Day between the NBA slate of games and the fact that it falls on a Sunday as well in the NFL. So anyway, before we get to sort of our our conversation for the Falcons perspective, because they are still technically percentage wise, mathematically wise, they are still in the NFC playoff race. And of course, as is Baltimore. Not as many scenarios for Atlanta, though, Sarah. Ten different playoff scenarios uh, this weekend for the Ravens to clinch a spot in this year's postseason. And, of course, they can help themselves out with a win, and it becomes much more likely with a win. It's just crazy. At one point, it just you know felt like playoffs were a lock, and they're still, you know, the chances are still high. But when you combine the fact that Lamar Jackson hasn't returned to practice this week and the fact that the Ravens only put up three points against the the Browns last week, you start to get a bit nervous because the playoff spot isn't clinched yet. And so, you know, 
Lamar Jackson's injury was a one to three week deal. I believe this week will become the third week. So I don't know that we're in any sort of panic mode yet. Uh, but I think based off of reports, definitely from Ian Rappaport that, you know, and some others saying that he should have, that they expect him to be back by Christmas Eve and he hasn't even returned to practice yet. That makes you nervous combined with, was just this offense is going nowhere. So, you know, it's nice that the defense is holding people low in, in points, but if you can't score more than three, it makes it hard to win a game and you got to win to clinch. If I'm not mistaken, Sarah, I don't believe Lamar has ever not practiced an entire week and then played that weekend in game action throughout his now five-year career. So it doesn't look great. And I remember saying not too long ago that I thought we weren't going to see him until January. But when I was saying those things, I thought at this point in the season, they would be clinched. That They would have a, a playoff berth clinched. But that's not the case. And as we know, you know, their peers are not slowing down. And this division is long from, from over. But right now, Cincinnati's playing some phenomenal football and they are peaking at the right time. And that becomes the question. Can the Ravens peak? At the right time, they're in position to do so, but my goodness, position to do so roster-wise right now, they're anything but, and we'll get to that on the other side of this conversation with the Atlanta Falcons team reporter, Tori McElhaney, about all things Atlanta, what's going on with their injury report, and a few of their young guys who they're going to be calling on on Christmas Eve. All right, Tori. So just for those that don't follow the the Falcons, you know, in, in another conference and all that, can you kind of give us a 10,000 foot view of the state of the five and nine Falcons entering week 16? Yeah. So this was a team that as you entered into Terry Fontenot and Arthur Smith's second year at the helm of this organization, it really was a year that kind of felt like a bridge to the next chapter. Obviously the Falcons parted ways with Matt Ryan in the off season and they signed Marcus Mariota and they, grabbed Desmond Ritter in in the NFL draft this year and you really did feel like this whole year was going to be something where they were looking at kind of the young talent that they have had accumulated over the course of the last two years whether that be Drake London Kyle Pitts and really establishing kind of where they want to go from here so this year to me was all about evaluating where this group goes and and I say that because the Falcons had a significant salary cap issue as they were going into not just last year but this year too they'll be in a better spot in 2023 but that was something that they were actively fighting against so I say people to to, I tell people all the time this Falcons team is really pieced together with a bunch of rookies a bunch of guys on the rookie deals and then also some better some veteran players that are on essentially one or two year deals so didn't really have a lot of huge expectations for this team going in. And I think they kind of surprised some people early in the year and things have kind of tapered off since as, as I think more and more teams are figuring out what the Falcons want to do offensively, what they can do with what they have. And as we all know, I, I mean, I assume as everybody knows, Marcus Mariota is no longer the quarterback in Atlanta. Desmond Ritter had his first start in New Orleans. And I think you saw him make, some rookie mistakes, but Arthur Smith has said time and time again over the last week that he really likes Desmond Ritter's command of this offense. And these next three games for the Falcons are really all about deciding if you have your future at quarterback in Desmond Ritter, or if you do need to put 
quarterback as a pretty high priority going into next offseason. Sorry, that's where I was going next. And, you know, you kind of brought up the evaluational kind of period that this franchise is in right now. And I was just wondering if you could expand a little bit on your first impressions of the Rook, Desmond Ritter. It's his NFL debut. They lose to the Saints. Uh, you know, kind of top down, what were your big takeaways? Yeah, so I was actually very impressed by Desmond Ritter's just command and poise in the, not just in the pocket, but being able to get the play call in and, and knowing the playbook. Arthur Smith has said a few times that the Falcons didn't have to shrink the playbook for Desmond Ritter. He's somebody who has from a mental standpoint, been there, I almost feel like all along. I, I go back to even rookie mini camp and training camp. And Arthur Smith said, I think we we're a couple of weeks into training camp. And he made the comment that has stuck with me ever since where he was talking about Desmond Ritter being light years ahead from the neck up <laughs> than maybe some other young quarterbacks he's worked with before. And I thought that was really impressive to think about who Desmond Ritter is. Desmond Ritter is not the type of guy who shies away from a leadership role. He He's very convicted in that. And so what needs to catch up, though, is I think some of the things that we saw on Sunday against the Saints, where it's that in-game decision-making and kind of allowing the the brain to connect to the body in terms of the, the snap decisions that you have to make in the pocket against a Saints defense in New Orleans. So there are a lot of things that I think he he has to learn. But I, I will say this, is, and I've written this a couple of times since uh, since Sunday, but with Desmond Ritter, I don't think it's necessarily about having to like reinvent him. I just think it's about refining him to what he can do best in this offense. I think he has the intangibles. It's it's kind of just allowing the production and the execution to catch up with kind of what you see from him pre-snap. Hey, Tori, something you said kind of caught my ear. A little background. The, the fans in Baltimore constantly debate the Ravens front office approach to um, cap spending mm -hmm. and the Ravens are very disciplined. They do not like to push dead money into future years or try to, you know, re restructure contracts to where it would hurt them in the future. Falcons kind of went the other way. Rams is another one I'm thinking of where, you know, Ravens fans are like, why can't we just be like the Rams? Let's go for it. Let's swing <laughs> hard. Let's put all of our money into it. And now the Rams just got, you know, a year after the Super Bowl are eliminated how do fans, uh, how do they react? Like, as you said, right now, this, this roster is kind of pieced together with rookies and all that because all, that's all they can afford right now. Do they understand that, that, you know, the Falcons took a big swing, maybe didn't end up the way they wanted to, but now there's going to be a couple years where they're rebuilding and just don't have a lot of money to, to spend? Yeah, I think one of the words that I think every fan hates is, and it's not a word, it's, a, it's just a phrase, is be patient. And I kind yeah. of continue to say that for the Falcons and where they are right now, because what Terry Fontenot and Arthur Smith inherited when they took over two years ago was a really, really bad salary cap situation. And I, and I think anyone across the league would, would agree with me. I mean, just the they have the largest dead money hit right now in the league. I mean, you're looking at over 80 million dollars that they are paying to guys who are currently not on this roster like guys like Matt Ryan and Julio Jones who have been the franchise players in Atlanta for the last decade and so when you're in this really significant transition period I think it is important that fans do that 
level of research and understanding, okay, what does the salary cap actually look like for the Falcons and why has it been so hard for them to make any type of waves in free agency? I know it's funny because I feel like every time we get into the start of a new league year and free agency opens up, especially in the last two years, I get asked, well, why aren't we going after this guy? Why aren't we going after this guy? And I'm, I, I just have to say the Falcons don't have the money to do that. Yeah. And, and for what the Falcons want to do and what they want to build, it's not like, oh, they don't have the money and they can use draft capital. No, you want that draft capital to be able to bring in guys, that young talent that you feel like you can develop. And so I say all of that to say I know be patient isn't isn't a word that fan bases normally like, but that's exactly where I see the Falcons being right now because of all the money that they're having to take on in in dead money. I mean, it's just it's remarkable, really, when you re- when you really, truly like look at it and break it down. How about the overall health status for the team? We know that Mariota's on IR, but uh, any other impact players that are down and then maybe for our Maryland lacrosse fans who tend to listen into the show. Can you give us an update on Jared Bernhardt? Yeah. So uh, Jared Bernhardt, I will say this. He was one of the best stories that I thought came out of training camp across the league. I mean, it, it was just remarkable. And we, uh, my, my team here with the Falcons, my digital team, and they did a really fantastic job of putting together this really awesome video of Jared Bernhardt's story just overall. So I definitely recommend people go check that out if they want more information on Jared Bernhardt. He probably won't <laughs> be able to come back. Uh, I, I don't want to say he's not going to come back at all this year, but it's I definitely think it's trending that way. We haven't seen him in weeks. And so I don't, as much as I think some people would love to, some Maryland people would love to see uh, Jared Bernhardt, I, I wouldn't hold your breath on that. Um, as far as other injuries go, I think the biggest, uh, the, the Falcons aren't without injuries. I mean, you think of some of the guys on IR, Casey Hayward, Kyle Pitts, Taquan Graham. These are guys that played big roles for this team, not just coming into the season, but as the season progressed. And um, I know Kyle Pitts' stats weren't what they were in his rookie year, but he still was doing really good things for this Falcon teams, this Falcons team. And he was integral to this offensive production. Now, the Falcons are at really good health at the offensive line position and have been safe for the left guard position for the entire year, you know, knock on wood, of course, but that, that group I think has been very healthy. You have Tyler Algier in the backfield, you have Cordero Patterson in the backfield, and those two guys are going to be your workhorses. I mean, you saw a guy like Caleb Huntley who kind of had a similar story to that of Jared Bernhardt where it was a guy fighting for a roster spot and then came in and made significant waves in in the run game. And I was very impressed with Caleb Huntley. He has an Achilles injury that he suffered in the first couple plays of the Saints game on Sunday. He won't be out there. He's on IR. So you have some spots that are not technically at full strength, but you you do have some other spots that haven't necessarily been bitten by the injury bug. So in terms of health, the Falcons are in an okay spot. Um, it's hard to say that they're in a great spot when you have guy, a guy like Kyle Pitts who's on IR, but I would say they're, they're all right going up to Baltimore. Hey, Tori, you mentioned uh, Tyler Algier there. I've been excited to ask you about him because I'm a BYU alum, 
and I uh, loved him. I loved him yeah. at BYU. My still favorite play, I don't know if you've seen the video, is when when the quarterback throws an interception and it looks like it's going to be a pick six and Tyler oh, yeah. Algier runs down the guy and jumps over his shoulder basically <laughs> and punches the ball out and, you know, the BYU recovers. I mean, he just – he is all heart. He's powerful. How's his season going? I know he just he's coming off of a 100-plus game. Yeah. What's he looking like to you? Gosh, I – I said this the other day, and I'll say it again here. He has been one of my favorite stories of the 2022 season. I mean, just what he's able to do as a physical runner has been so impressive to see. I mean, there are so many times where he gets the ball, and there are some times where he's hit like two yards behind the line of scrimmage, and somehow, some way, he still picks up six yards. And you're like, how in the world did this guy do it? He he reminds me, I think I told – so uh, Tyler Algier, Drake London, and Desmond Ritter are all pretty good good friends in that rookie class. And uh, I was talking to Drake London the other day on our podcast, and I said, I was like, Tyler Algier is just like a little bowling ball. Like he just runs <laughs> over people. And it's it's he's such a fun player to watch because I love the physicality of the game. And Tyler Algier presents that. I think it was something that caught the Falcons' eye during the draft evaluation process, you know, this Tyler Algier was a guy, as you know, Sarah, like he was a guy who what led the NCAA in yards after initial contact. I mean, that is, that is just a stat that is, is so fantastic. If you are a court, an offensive coordinator in the league being like, Ooh, I want that guy. He's a physical guy. He's going to run over somebody. And he has been very fun to watch and seeing his, growth over the last 16 weeks has been really impressive too because Tyler Algier actually was inactive in week one this this running back room looked very different in training camp and heading into the season because you really thought okay it's Cordell Patterson it's Damian Williams Avery Williams had been converted to a running back and then you had Tyler Algier and Caleb Huntley it was very crowded and then as injuries kind of happened and Cordero Patterson goes on IR, Damian Williams goes on IR. It really opened the door for Tyler Algier and Caleb Huntley. And the reason why the Falcons are at the point where they're at now with one of, I think, the most consistent run games in the league is because of what those guys did in the absence of some of these vets. And then, of course, getting Cordero Patterson back only helps. And, yeah, Tyler Algier is coming off of his very first 100-plus yard rushing game. And, I mean, it's – it really does feel like this is kind of just the beginning for, for Tyler Algier. I'm, I've been very impressed. I would say he's, I don't know if he's the best draft pick the Falcons have had in the last couple of years, but I mean, he, his production speaks for itself. You know, Tori, can I just say first and foremost, thank you for allowing Sarah to get her BYU fix on this episode (laughs) because those opportunities don't always come around. So thank you. Oh, there's there's plenty. There's a lot of BYU alum out there. There's plenty. (laughs) I love it. Zach Zach Wilson isn't Zach Wilson isn't giving me as much to talk about, but but I got Tyler now. You do have Tyler, and hey, he's he's fun. I I enjoy Tyler as a person too. He's so he's such a nice, like humble guy. He's he's not he's very introverted, which is so funny because a lot of a lot of these guys sometimes aren't. But I I very much have enjoyed the this past year with Tyler Algier. He's been a fun one to cover. Nice. Unfortunately for Zach, he gives us all more to talk about off the field than he does on. That's a conversation for another day. But uh, yeah, let's move on. What's the next question here, Bobby? Let's not talk about Zach. (laughs) I wanted to talk about uh, the eighth overall pick in the draft because uh, Mm -hmm. Drake London 
seems like he he is is pretty legit haven't gotten a ton on him though so hopefully you can uh, kind of shed some light on what his first season has been and you know I gotta also wonder too are there times where Atlanta's passing attack kind of feels one dimensional uh, with him so the the here's the thing about Atlanta's overall offensive attack and I'm not saying this just me I can, I can say that but Arthur Smith has said this too the pass game's productivity has to catch up to the run game's productivity for the Falcons to be at their most successful. And right now, especially over the course of the last month and a half, it's not been that way. The Falcons have to rely on the run game because the pass game just hasn't really been there. The productivity hasn't really been there in a lot of games this year. And I think it kind of is a offense as a whole problem. I don't think it was just Marcus Mariota. I don't think it was just Drake London or just Kyle Pitts. I, I think there was just, there were a lot of variables that went into, I think, why this past game really hasn't been working, why the connectivity has been off. And, uh, but the thing is, even saying that, I don't put, I don't necessarily put that on Drake London because what I've seen from Drake London has been very impressive this year. And I think he is somebody who I, I really, at first, I'll say this at first, I wasn't a hundred percent sold on Drake London being the number all number eight overall pick and him being the first receiver off the board. But the more and more that I feel like I've talked to people in the Falcons building, the more and more I felt like Drake London was exactly what the Falcons needed. He doesn't have to be what other teams needed. He was what the Falcons needed. The Falcons needed a big physical receiver. And that is what Drake London is. I also think that he's just a really good fit for not just, you know, this offense, but in this locker room too. I think he carries a presence with him that is is very refreshing. And um, he has he's had some moments of, I think, glimpses of what we know he can be. I mean, he made a one-handed grab uh, going towards the sideline on Sunday that was just very, very impressive. But then you see the flip side of that, and you see in the fourth quarter and the Falcons are driving and they convert on fourth and five and he fumbles the ball and essentially – give gives the ball back to to the saints and they're able to go on and win that game i mean this is still a rookie he's still learning and i think i i but i will say is even in that it's not like i take that fumble and like oh well that's it no drake london's a wash that's not what i'm saying at all i i've been very pleased with what i've seen from drake london and i think he's the type of player that is only going to grow this is also a guy who was coming off an ankle injury, you know, coming into this season. And I think he made the comment during training camp. He was like, it's just so good to just get back out on the grass and be able to run around a little bit. And so I think there's only progress ahead for a guy like Drake London. Looking at the game itself in this matchup, um, the Falcons, I know from a playoff standpoint, could be eliminated from wild card contention, but because of the state of the NFC South, <laughs> they wouldn't be eliminated from the playoffs. Goodness. Ravens yeah. are looking to clinch a playoff spot. Where's the Falcons right now? I know there's some teams that are just like look, have an eye when they're when things aren't this good. They already have an eye on a on a draft pick, or are they motivated to still keep themselves in wild card contention? And are they still going for a playoff spot, or are they like, oh, let's get a top five pick? I, I think if you ask any player or coach, they are very much singularly focused on this season and especially this game coming up. I mean, Arthur Smith, we were talking to him on um, on Tuesday and he was he said the same thing. He was asked about, like, how much do you pay attention to kind of what's going on in the NFC South? And and he was like, look, like we we have to win games. It, that's what it all boils down to. It doesn't matter, like kind of what's going on. 
going on around us. Like we have to get over this hump of winning games because the Falcons haven't won a lot of games in the last month and a half. And they have to get, they talk all the time, players and coaches both talk about getting over the hump. And that's kind of where they are. They need a win. And I think they are more worried about that, at least from conversations that I've had with players and coaches now, the front office is a different story, but uh, players and coaches right now, they are still very, wanting to be very competitive. They're like, we've been in so many games this year where it has come down to one score, one possession in the fourth quarter, and we need to find a way to finish those games and come out of these games with wins. And so I think that's kind of where their mindset is right now. And it's really interesting because of all the different ways that the NFC South could shake out. The The very last game of the season for the Falcons is Tampa Bay at home. And that could be a bonkers game just for what it would mean for the NFC South. And according to how these next three weeks play out, it's very fascinating, very convoluted, this NFC South right now. It feels like no one really wants to win it. <laughs> Having listened to the team podcast that you guys do, Tori, uh, I think you'll agree with this. I'm not sure anybody deserves to come right. out of that division. <laughs> right? I mean, that's just crazy. It's There's always one division every year, I feel like, that kind of, brings back that argument of, man, should we do seeding through conference instead of division? And it's certainly the right. NFC South this year. But anyway, before we get your <laughs> prediction, uh, one, what has to go right for the Falcons to win this one? For What's the formula for success mm -hmm. on the road? And two, a key matchup that you're most looking forward to. I think for the Falcons to, to see success, and I go back to what I was saying before, they have to balance up their offensive attack. I feel like this defense is playing okay right now. We, we've seen over the course of this year that this Falcons defense kind of has this bend but don't break mentality and that they're pretty good in the red zone and they may give up chunk yardage here and there, but they're going to keep teams out of the end zone, which I think is very much, I know a lot of people are very familiar with Dean Pease in Baltimore, but that's almost a marker of, of who he is as a coordinator. And so, for the I, if they're going to continue to do that defensively, the Falcons' offense has to put more points on the board. Just period. They they're not scoring enough, and a lot of that I think has to do with their inability to play balanced football. And so the pass game has to catch up to the just the overall run game's production. Because right now there is just so much good that's happening with this run game that. You, you really do feel like teams queue up on that. And it's like, okay, when a team starts loading the box, you've got to be able to help out your offensive line and your running backs and spread the ball out a little bit more. So I'll say that. Now, as far as your, your second question, the matchup that I'm most looking forward to, it's actually for me, and this is, I think, because of where we are with the Falcons, it's not necessarily a matchup. It's more how Desmond Ritter can move forward from what we saw him do against the Saints. He came out against the Saints very amped, and even though the the command was there and the, um, you know, making sure the play call got in, the Falcons were never penalized with a pre-snap penalty or procedural penalty on the offense, which I thought was very impressive that Desmond Ritter was able to do that in his first start in New Orleans. Um, but for me, it's about the growth that I can see from him from his first start to his second start and his, and his ability to not just command the offense, but to look forward and be able to produce and execute at the clip that the Falcons ultimately need him to. So I, I know that's not necessarily the answer to your question, but that's kind of just where my head's at right now.
Tori, we always finish asking for a, a prediction and score if you have one. But real quick, how is Dean Pease doing? Didn't he get hit yeah. last week? Is is he okay? Yeah, so that was a really scary moment. He was uh, on the sideline talking to somebody, and um, as he was ran, he collided with a, a player during the back half of warmups, and um, really scary situation. They immediately took him uh, took him off the field and took him to the hospital, and um, he did fly back with us, which was fantastic. And, and oh, Arthur good. Smith has said he's he's been in the building all week. We actually coordinators talk on Wednesday. So I'm hoping that we'll get a chance to catch up with him. But um, honestly, it was probably the best case scenario to what was a very scary moment. And um, I, I know there are a lot of people in Baltimore who love Dean Pease. I've been very, very fortunate to be able to uh, to cover him. He's been somebody who I've watched from afar for a long time. And to be able to to actually sit down and have conversations with him and pick his brain has been really great for me in, in my career. And I, I have such a great appreciation for him as a play caller and as a human being. So best case scenario, the Falcons don't know yet if he's going to be calling plays in Baltimore. They're trying to figure out like health wise, like it, it is a week enough time. And and so Arthur Smith said, they'll probably take it to throughout the whole week and, um, and make a decision on, on Dean what's best for his health and everything like that. Who, who would call the plays if it's not Dean? Frank Bush, he's the inside linebackers coach. He okay. he called the game on Sunday against the Saints. All right, sorry. Yeah, so glad to hear he's doing okay. Hopefully he continues to, to progress. Much love to him. Uh, final prediction and score if you have one. Yeah, so I, I honestly, I don't, I, I very much think that this is going to be a low scoring game. And I say low scoring because yeah. the Falcons have, um, not broke the Falcons defense. I don't think has given up more than 26 points in the last few weeks, even month and a half, maybe. Um, so I, I definitely don't see it being a very high scoring game. I don't necessarily know if I have a like straight up prediction. I do think that Baltimore will find, uh, find a way to win. I'll say that, but I, I, I do think that this is a situation where it's for me, it's less about what the Falcons do win or lose and more about the progress that I can see them making. And honestly, the Falcons have been in so many freaking one score games that come down to the final minute. It will, it will not surprise me if that's what happens in Baltimore on Christmas Eve. Oh, absolutely. And the Ravens offense has been, it feels like broken for the last couple of weeks, but we'll see if Lamar Jackson is back. I know that's a possibility, yeah. but. We will see that obviously will be a, a big difference maker. So, Tori, thank you so much for joining us. You've helped educate us on all things Falcons. Uh, good luck to you guys, and please send our love to Dean Pease. Absolutely will do. Thank you so much for having me. So that's Tori McElhaney there who works for the Atlanta Falcons, the team. And, Bobby, I forgot. I mean, we're, we're so used to our um, tradition of getting our guests' score prediction. And uh, – I don't know that you can do that working for the team. <laughs> it's usually frowned upon unless unless you're going to go ahead and outright predict a win for your team. But when you're working for the team and you're in that building, you know, interacting with coaches and players, and it's like, ah, oh, you you thought we were you said we were going to lose, huh? <laughs> you know. So, uh, but she but she kind of put it. She's like, but I do think that the Ravens could find a way to win. <laughs> so, shouldn't you of um, all people have remembered that? <laughs> well, yeah, I was definitely the person inside that always pushed the limits, though, for sure, for sure. Anybody would say that. Um, That's so yeah, I should have remembered that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
and, and of course, I'm glad you had your moment with one of their breakout stars right now in the backfield with Tyler Algier. Because oh. not only is he your BYU boy, but this dude's been called upon coming off his first, as as Tory said, his first 100-plus yard rushing game on the ground of his young career and playing some good football for them right now and really carrying this offense. Yeah, it's funny because I, I did kind of wish that the Ravens would draft them based off of, you know, we didn't know at the time of the draft of J.K. or Gus how they would be, although I thought they would have been uh, a little bit faster than they, they were. But, man, the last two weeks, J.K. has been phenomenal since returning from that scope. But, yeah, I mean, I wanted them. I, I mean, I, I mean, I always want them to draft BYU players. But Tyler Algier, what a difference he would have made if he if he were in this offense. So I'm a little bit jealous of the Atlanta Falcons, you know. And I cheer for him usually, but I will be obviously cheering that the Ravens be able to put a, a clamp on him and and slow his roll a bit and keep him humble as he's starting to ascend. Let's shift gears to before we kind of get into some some matchups to watch and the injury situation and some emails of course this the this week's uh, hot topic was Greg Roman as it's been for gosh weeks now months now if not years but this week was different because of the papers that ended up on Tyus Bowser's Instagram story on Saturday night after the loss to Cleveland he abandoned the run in the fourth quarter and remember that there were handwritten fire Greg Roman messages in the front foyer of the Ravens Under Armour Performance Center in Owings Mills, which is the team's facility where you spent over a decade, where I spent three and a half years a couple times a week. And so immediately when we saw it, it was, oh, that's the front foyer. You know, the stone was just incredibly familiar looking. So that's the way the week began. And from there, it became a storm on social media. And while Greg was very adamant <laughs> during his Wednesday press conference that he doesn't live there, as John Harbaugh said on Monday, he did have a reaction to everything, all the outside noise that's not only about his offense right now, but that's spewing about the team overall and where they're headed. You know, look, I'm a fan. I sit in the stands at Orioles games or whatnot. I know what it's like to be a fan. And uh, you love the passion. You love the emotion. And with the emotion comes... That's what comes with it. So as far as, you know, the passion and, and, the, and, the, and, the, and wanting to win and whatnot, that's a great thing. But it's two different worlds. That world of the fan, which uh, is the fan. And then there's the people in the arena, the players, the coaches, etc. I mean, the first thing you're told when you get into this profession is don't listen to any of the noise. You know, that's what everybody's told everywhere. And if you're an offensive coordinator and you don't think that's going to happen in the NFL, it comes with the job. But the uh, the second world is in the arena where – you really have to focus, laser beam focus, on, on uh, the task at hand. And uh, you can't let anything distract you from that. And that's players, coaches, everybody, uh, working on all the details that go into to winning in the National Football League. So it's pretty simple, really. And like when uh, coordinators, first-time coordinators, when I talk to them, that's the first thing I tell them um, is you can't listen to anything. Um, other than do, doing your job, you know, and how the offense performs, that's what I'm concerned about. Is it hard sometimes not to take it personal? I, I don't listen to it at all, okay? I mean, it doesn't move me at all. So point taken, and I think it's a fair way to answer these questions, Sarah, but as you noted in one of this week's morning vaults, 13.8 points per game in terms of average since the bye week isn't going to cut it, and you got to answer for that as the O.C., yeah, I mean, I really have no problem with his answer there. I, I couldn't care less. You know, a lot of people, I said this in the other vault too, and Harbaugh kept talking about, 
you know, the end of the bar people. There's already T-shirts being made <laughs> for that. Some smart moves from from a marketing standpoint there. I, I just have no problem with those things. None. Like there is so much negativity, whether even when you're playing well, that it's like you just don't have the time for it. And everybody who's on social media we, we all know that's true. We all block out when, when negativity gets to be too much. So I couldn't care less that they like are focused, not even care less, but they should be. They should be focused, all that kind of stuff. John Harbaugh's comment was a little bit more condescending, but I mean, they just got to keep going. They just got to keep going. Like, even if they said everything correct, like, oh, we value the, the, the fans' opinions and we know they're right, yada, yada, yada fans would still be mad because at the end of the day, they should be mad at the results on the field. And he said, he's like, what I care about is how the offense performs. So, you know, I, I, that's what he should care about. And I hope that's what he cares about. That's what he says he cares about. It doesn't, yeah, all the, all these comments, it just, it doesn't matter to me. What matters is that they get it fixed. And if you don't get it fixed, then it's going to be a problem. And then it'll be, you know, people above him who who are talking to him and his players who are talking to him. But the whole Tyus Bowser thing, it never struck me the way the Hollywood Brown tweet did. Remember when he's like, what's the point of having soldiers if you don't use them? And it was like that, that tweet was like clear indication that he was unhappy with coaching. I, I didn't get that from Tyus Bowser and I haven't got it from any, any players whatsoever. And so if they are upset, they're keeping it internal. They're talking to him personally. That's the way it should be. And at the end of the day, I don't care what they say at the pressers. I want change on the field. And, you know, three points last week. Come on. That's not going to get it done. So he should be upset with himself. And the players should be upset with themselves. And then you just got to move forward and get it fixed because no talking in the world is going to make it better. You know, Sarah, you got me thinking earlier this week, I was doing my weekly on-site live stream in Pasadena at the rumor meal. And of course, Keith Mills, my former colleague, we did the pre and post game shows together for several years uh, for Ravens radio, joined me. And we had a little bit of a pre-holiday, good spirited debate about this conversation. And my thing was, okay, sure. To your point a second ago, we don't have any reason to believe, aside from these papers, if they were done internally, uh, to to assume that there is unrest right now within the organization, personnel-wise, about the way that they employ things offensively speaking, their scheme, Greg Roman as a play caller, all those things. What we do have to believe, and I tend to kind of lean on, is when a guy like Willie Sneed is no longer with the organization, and he makes headlines this past summer about essentially saying that you know, nobody wants to come to Baltimore because of the scheme, because of their run-first mentality, because of the play caller. And then we, of course, have heard and seen Steve Smith Sr. be on record, very outspoken about Greg Roman, about this scheme. We know the Hollywood tweet from a couple of years ago. So I just think seeing these papers sort of reignited this conversation and it makes me wonder and I know it does for you too because we haven't gotten down to the bottom of it is there something greater going on and was this done internally because if it was there's something significant and there is unre- unrest potentially in that locker room 
Yeah. Yeah. First of all, just to clarify, when you said nobody wants to come to Baltimore, you mean wide receivers. Cause Sorry, there's, yeah. right. Like right. there's plenty. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there's plenty of players that, that want to be here. I cannot tell you how many times I hear from players that like, they're just like, Oh yeah, you want to go to Baltimore. They treat you right. All that kind of stuff. It's, you know, winning organization, all that kind of stuff. So, but yeah, 1000%, like <clears throat> I think Willie Sneed is probably just speaking the truth. Like he's like, Wide receivers don't want to come to Baltimore. And if I were a wide receiver, you know, I don't know that I would want to. I mean, it's like you said, run first. And Hollywood, I thought once he left and he was in uh, Arizona, he was like, they just didn't need me. And I know that is the philosophy there is that it's like, I remember it was there with Joe Flacco. It was just like this mentality that he didn't need, you know, these big time wide receivers. It's just the mentality there. And so, you know, players around the league can, can feel that. And so you run first, you're, you're, you're not known as a coordinator who really gets things going, dialing them up through the air. And so, yeah, they don't. And then you could see that when the Ravens were, going after free agents in the off season and offered more money and, and wide receivers would go places for less money outside of here. That's 1000% true. So the thing is though, is like what wide receivers, here's my thing. What wide receivers on this roster can really complain because James Prochet isn't playing anywhere else. Deshaun Jackson isn't getting any chances anywhere else. Sammy Watkins just got waived for, you know, or wasn't re-signed with the same team for the, for the, I don't know, was it like third time in three years? And so uh, that's why I have a hard time thinking it that, that it's like a wide receiver that's upset because I think they're getting more chances here. People say it all the time. The wide receivers here aren't even in the top three top wide receivers in other places. So then if you're a running back or offensive lineman, you're pretty happy here. A defensive guy feeling pretty good about the defense. So so I don't I don't know. I don't know if it is internal or not. But but if, if there was like a star wide receiver here, I could see them being upset. But these guys are getting more opportunities than they ever would anywhere else. I think that's a great point. No one guy on this roster has earned or demanded that type of conversation surrounding him. And that's just the reality of it right now. So. In, until they go and get, you know, a bona fide true wide receiver and free agency or they hit on him through the draft, we'll likely be having this conversation unless they're able to get back to their 2019 form. And to me, the thought of that happening is is an afterthought at this point. More from Greg, though, wanted to talk a little bit about some of those offensive deficiencies and why they took place on Saturday night in Cleveland. I'd say it's more of a play by play situation. So to answer your question broadly, uh, we just need to execute better. Okay, we need to be uh, on the same page, and a guy—it's a one thing here and one thing there type of thing. And that's—we all know offensive football needs uh, cohesion. So uh, we can do a lot better. There's some good things going on, but we need to be more consistent. And of course, he was also asked about abandoning the run in the fourth quarter with only one carry that went to Dobbins. I mean, we were moving it uh, really well on the ground for sure and some quick passes and whatnot. But, you know, could we have stayed into that mode more? Probably. You know, probably. You look back and you're like, geez, you know, could have uh, kept going with that a little bit more, you know. But that's, uh, you know, on Monday, it's always easy to say that. Three, two, and one. Sarah, back to the execution answer there. I mean, putting it on execution is putting this thing on his players in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's the way I took it for sure. Which is too bad. I, I, 
that surprised me. Like, I think it's fine. I mean, he's, it's not that he's wrong. It's just that it's not the whole story. You know, there were execution breakdowns in, in the passing game. I mean, Tyler Huntley did not have a good game. And, um, you know, if you follow any guys that do the film study, I mean, there's just plenty of, of, you know, videos out there of, of just Tyler Huntley not playing well. John Harbaugh had said some, some of the guys weren't even running the right routes. So for sure there was execution, but Harbaugh started the week talking about how the passing game would be priority number one, which I'm sure part of that is coaching the players up. But he also said on Monday, he said that they were going to be looking at the X's and O's and the personnel packages and all that. So he hit on that hard. And so for Greg Roman not to say, yeah, it's execution. And also we are working hard on the X's and O's and making sure that, you know, I'm making the right calls and I'm putting guys in the right place. He never said that. And so that of, of anything, like, his, like I said, the prior comment didn't bother me. All coaches try to block out negativity. Um, we all do that. But it was this one that it was like, really, there was nothing, <laughs> nothing scheme wise, you know, that that can change because he was like, you know, that's what it all boils down to. So, yeah, that one was the one that was more on the disappointing side for me. And then real quick, just revisiting Bobby, and I don't know what your take is, but um, he did take accountability for abandoning the run too quickly. But then he kind of gave him an, himself an excuse saying that's easier to do on Monday. And it's like, but not in this case, <laughs> like, like, I don't know. I don't know what you were doing, Bobby. Sometimes we're texting, sometimes we're not. But I was like, literally in the game, like, why aren't you going to JK and Gus? Like during the fourth quarter, like everybody was saying it in the fourth quarter. This isn't one of those things that it's like, you know, like a fourth quarter, like a fourth down decision, right? Where you're like, I think we can get this. I've drawn up this play. We've been doing it well. And then you don't get it. So then, yeah, of course, hindsight, I shouldn't have gone for the fourth, the fourth down, right? So sometimes that makes sense with the hindsight. But with this one, I don't think he needed hindsight. I don't think he needed two days to think about it until Monday and be like, well, yeah, I guess I should have. Like that to me seems clear as day. And this is probably my biggest frustration with Greg Roman right now because he's not wrong about execution. But to me, it's just having a feel for that situation play calling. Like this is exactly it. This is probably my most frustrating thing that it's just like, I mean, uh, those those three plays in a row where it was like second and four, three and four, four and four, like with just under 10 minutes, only down by 10. If you had taken your time and scored in like seven, eight minutes, now you're only down by three. Your defense is getting stops and you have Justin Tucker. Like there was plenty of time to run the ball. And it just it just. That's what that's what's so frustrating is where is your feel for this for for what and you're dialing up on fourth and four. I'm sure Tyler Huntley has something to do with it with his reads, I guess. But fourth and four, you're going to James Prochet. And this was after James Prochet. You went him to do that trick play and he didn't know to like throw the ball away instead of going into quadruple coverage like. Hey, I w- I hope James Prochet keeps growing. I hope he keeps getting better. But like, he's not the guy I'm going to continue to go to in these big moments in the play in in the games. So yeah, it's 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 the play calling that really is is more mostly frustrating for me. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Fourth and four, to your point, game is on the line, and you're going with a designed play. And like you said, Tyler may have gone through his reads, and maybe the first option was Mark Andrews. But John Harbaugh confirmed it on Monday, Sarah. That was a designed play for James Prochet, the most unproven commodity up and down within this franchise personnel-wise. And that is nothing against James himself. I know he's a hard worker. I know he's a good dude, treats the media well and all that good stuff. But he is the... You could argue he is the most unproven commodity on this roster, and you're going to him with potentially not only the game on the line, but your season based on where things are mathematically now. It just doesn't make sense. Greg had to answer for it. I thought he did. It's easy to second-guess a coordinator on Monday, as he mentioned, but it's also easy to understand that dink-and-dunk four-yard completions are just as ineffective as running the ball clockwise, which is what they tried to talk about with over 10 minutes to go in the fourth and staring at a two possession deficit. So anyway, you ready to shift gears? Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's hit up injuries here. I feel like they've kind of been overshadowed by, by Greg Roman, but there's some important injuries here. There's been a lot of things that have been overshadowed by this conversation. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's we had a lot of things that we wanted to discuss this week. You know, J.K. Dobbins, gnarly knee. I guess we'll be pushing that off to next week and so much else. But this just deserved our attention. So, yeah, and first and foremost, we're taping this on Thursday morning. So needless to say, a lot could happen over the next 24 hours. But as we mentioned at the top, the headliner, Lamar has missed eight straight days of practice uh, with no end in sight in the aftermath of that PCL sprain in the Denver game. And so, like I mentioned earlier on, I don't believe he's ever missed a full week of practice and then played that week. So if he can't go, you know, they're going to be riding with Snoop again, but all of a sudden Tyler showed up with a, a limited designation, a right shoulder designation, I should say, that kept him limited in Wednesday's practice. And that kind of came out of nowhere. Now, Luke Jones brought this to my attention during minicamp and at, during time parts of training camp this past summer. 
Tyler was limited and held to a pitch count with some shoulder tendonitis. So you hope that they're just being careful, maybe even a little gamemanship here. Uh, but that was the case. And then to your point, uh, you know, once you talk about the kind of the ones that have been swept under the rug here, which really shouldn't be at all, given the significance of what they do for the defense. I think Marcus Peters is a huge, huge loss. He obviously hasn't been playing to the Marcus Peters standard that we're, we're used to still coming, coming off of that uh, knee injury. But um, with him down, you know, most likely being down this weekend, I don't know who the Ravens are going to put on the outside. Jalen Armour Davis is on IR, probably going to be um, Brandon Stevens. Brandon Stevens, thank you. That's probably who it's going to be, which makes me very nervous. <laughs> um, Brandon Stevens has done, you know, a good job moving over from from running back, but and safety, yeah, that could be a problem. <laughs> yeah, and safety, and safety, so. That's a problem. I mean, Brandon Stevens or a not 100% Marcus Peters, I'm taking the not 100% Marcus Peters any day of the week. I mean, the Ravens have nothing going on offensively. And so it's going to be up to the defense to keep this as low scoring as possible. And with this secondary, I'm nervous about that. And then as I mentioned to um, Tori there that, you know, here we got Tyler Algier coming and Calais Campbell doesn't look healthy. And so that's a big loss, too. I do think that they've got some some bigger dudes in there that can uh, fill in for Calais better than than what Brandon Stevens will probably do on the outside. But this is massive. This is massive because the Ravens aren't going to be putting up, you know, 25 points. I mean, I'd be happy if they you know, put up 17 at this point. I mean, it's just, it's bananas. So those those are some major losses there, Bobby. Yeah, well, let's assume that first and foremost, Lamar will, will not be able to go this weekend. I think John Harbaugh has no other choice than to keep three quarterbacks on his game day roster, assuming that this injury designation, we don't want to assume anything, but this shoulder flare up from Tyler, if it's anything, you know, even close to serious, then you got to keep three. Uh, Anthony Brown, of course, is going to be up yeah. the undrafted guy that we saw uh, close out a game not too long ago. And, and Brett Huntley, the, I should say Brett Hundley, not to be confused with Snoop Huntley. There's a T and there's a D <laughs> between the two of them. They're keeping it simple. Uh, but that's what I would do. I mean, gosh, you just can't. Their emergency quarterback, backup quarterback, I believe, is is Mark Andrews. If something were to happen, you know, to their starter and backup on on game day, which gosh, we weren't we were pretty close to seeing Mark a couple weeks back. But I don't see how you don't keep three. And I know you got to scratch somebody, healthy scratch somebody. I don't know who that ends up being. Somebody, you know, special teamer, maybe like Christian Welch. I mean, Bynes is already going to be out probably if if a job oak is is called up. But uh, that's what I would do. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, I think you have to have I think you have to have 3 for sure. I mean, there's just too much uncertainty there and whether it's Mark Andrews, don't give it to James Prochet. No <laughs> um, throwing the ball. So, yeah. No, it's it's all it's all up in the air. And so, listen, that's why Bobby, this game plan is not rocket science. Just run the ball. And when they stack the box, keep running the ball. And if they stack the box more, keep running the ball. And then every once in a while, you can do a little play action. This is not rocket science. Run the ball. Give it to JK. Give it to Gus. 
Give it to Justice Hill. Let the offensive line do what it does. It's it's that line is healthy. And it's like, just keep doing it. Just keep running. Let me let me look up here. The 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 Falcons rush defense is 21st in the league. So not as bad as Cleveland's. But um, but yeah, just keep running the ball. That doesn't mean never pass, but this better not end up being another game where Huntley or Anthony Brown or whoever else do not combine for 30 dropbacks. Run the ball. It's not that complicated. All right, that brings us to some key matchups for this one. Obviously, based on what we just talked about injury-wise, it's probably no surprise where we're going with these, but you want to kick it off with yours? Yeah, my matchup to watch is is Dean Pease versus um, Greg Roman. I, I was I was following Tori, our guest, on, on Twitter, and she had some um, tweets because Dean Pease has been cleared, by the way, to right, um, since good. we interviewed Tori. He has been cleared, so... He will be calling the plays. You know, the reporters out there had asked him, like, how do you prepare for two different quarterbacks? And he's like, well, I just have to prepare more for the offensive coordinator than the quarterbacks at this point. You know, it's like the quarterbacks are similar, and and that means the same type of style. They'll be running the same offense. I think we have seen by now, okay, that anybody thinking that, the Ravens can save money by going with Tyler Huntley uh, is, is a bad move. Um, the, the, it just, there's levels, there are levels and we all love Tyler Huntley and we have his back, but there are levels. So anyway, Dean Pease is like, I have to prepare more for the offensive coordinator than the quarterbacks. And I know people kind of got fed up with Dean Pease by the time he retired and then came back. Uh, by the time he retired, people were were happy about that. He had a very bend but don't break mentality. It sounds like from Tory, that's what he still does, and um, and and I just need Greg Roman and and execution. I don't want to take it all off of players totally. They have got to convert in the red zone. Ravens are ranked number twenty nine in the red zone, which shouldn't happen when you have the number two rush offense. It. Uh, there was a quote that we didn't play that I actually do totally agree with on with with Roman is like they will run the ball between the 20s and pick up all these yards in between and then they hit the red zone and it all falls apart like uh, you know and part of it is like you know maybe you don't be you know run uh Patrick Ricard on fourth and one instead use him as a blocker and get JK in there and get Gus Edwards in there and just like that red zone, the rushing attack has got to work in the red zone. It's got to. Number 29 isn't cutting it. So whatever the players execution-wise, whatever Greg Roman does scheme-wise, they have got to convert in the red zone. That is how they will win this game. He's got to beat Dean Pease in this area. It's got to be done. 29th in the red zone, and then we're talking about the sixth worst offense passing attack-wise in the league. So... Two categories you do not want to find yourself in. And one note on Dean Pease, too. It's very reassuring. It's a relief to to know that he's good to go. I mean, Sarah, he's 73 now. And to have heard about yeah. that, you know, significant kind of like high speed pregame collision in New Orleans that he had to be hospitalized because of. Uh, that's it's great to see that he's going to be on the sidelines. So that first and foremost, from a human standpoint, but 
Uh, I will go with this. And by the way, the, the red zone, yeah, you're right. Inside the 20s, my goodness. <laughs> next thing you know, they become a shell of themselves. And it's been weeks, if not a microcosm of what's happened throughout this entire season more often than not. And they just stall. They got to finish drives. They got to mm -hmm. value the football. That's something they have not done in recent weeks. And they have not been winning the turnover battle. And gosh, they were really, they got beat by their own game in Cleveland. They lost the time of possession. They lost the turnover battle. You know, I think third down efficiency, they were relatively similar category wise with Cleveland. They, of course, lost the fourth down efficiency battle. And, and there you have it. You can't win when you're not winning those categories. And until they do, I don't like their chances to win any game. But my matchup is is one that we kind of alluded to, and that's the fact that Marlon Humphrey is going to be asked to do a lot on the outside with, in all likelihood, mm. no Marcus Peters. You talk about somebody who's going to be asked to do a lot too, Kyle Hamilton, Sarah. He may have more of a workload uh, on Saturday at the bank than he's had all season long, but make no mistake about it, they are somewhat of a one-dimensional passing offense in Atlanta right now. Desmond Ritter is, as Tori mentioned, uh, making his second career NFL start after Marcus Mariota, sort of somewhat of a, of a journeyman. Uh, he is on, on IR for them right now. Their top pick in the 2022 draft at the wide receiver position is somebody who has got a lot of talent, and that's Drake London. And he's sort of your big body guy that Marlon has had trouble with, those types of receivers. We saw that play out in Pittsburgh a couple weeks ago with uh, George Pickens, even Deontay Johnson. And I think that on the outside, you know, granted, hey, Atlanta, this is going to be a ground and pound game for both teams, you would imagine. But both teams are going to have some some balance, hopefully not 28 passing attempts, uh, attempts balance. That's not exactly well balanced, Sarah. But I, I do I do think this could be a pivotal matchup between Marlon Humphrey and their rookie first round pick in Drake London. Yeah, that's a good one. And obviously the the Ravens pass rushers are going to have to help the secondary. Uh, they'd have to make it to where this rookie is just, you know, seeing ghosts. Like, just confuse him, be after him, make him feel uncomfortable, make him have happy feet. And so here's here's a note that, uh, you know, it's has gone under the radar, but Baltimore's recorded multiple sacks in 10 consecutive games, which is the longest active streak in the NFL right now. So during this 10-game streak... Ravens have 34 total sacks. And uh, so, so you know, it's has an abundance of healthy pass rushers right now. And you just keep rotating those guys through and make life a living hell for this rookie, you know? And that's, that's going to be the best strategy to help out Marlon Humphrey and Brandon Stevens and Kyle Hamilton, these guys back there that are going to be you know, without Marcus Peters. I mean, they have just got to put pressure on him all day long. You know, we should take a moment because if you told us that statistic four or five months ago about the the pass rush and the overall sack production, a lot of people within this fan base would have said, you're joking, you know, because it wasn't all that long ago yeah. that we were referring to the outside linebacker room specifically as the thinnest, you know, top down within this organization. And now, as we've talked about in recent weeks, you could argue it's, actually the deepest depth wise. So that's been really encouraging. And as much frustration as there's been on the other side of the football, deservingly so, let's acknowledge that they have taken a, a big step forward in, in that department. And that's certainly helped out all levels of the defense. And hey, 
you know what? Even if Justin Houston goes quiet for the rest of the season, as he's been in, in recent weeks from a sack standpoint, to still get what they've gotten out of him on that one-year team-friendly deal is a win, if you ask me. And he'll likely not be in Baltimore next year. And, and you know, that's maybe he ends up retiring. I don't know. But to have gotten the production that they've received from him uh, and his peers, and, yeah. and specifically Tyus Bowser as well, coming back from, I mean, gosh, the torn Achilles wasn't even a year ago at this point, Sarah. And that's a complete afterthought. You would never know it watching this guy. And, and, and JPP. You know, we could, we could talk about every single one of these outside linebackers, but the fact that JPP has come in and in the first game he, he was playing, he played like how many snaps, you know, like I can't remember how many snaps he logged, but it was a ton in that first game back. And he's really been a, a pleasant surprise, I would say, after being picked up on the street. Yeah, yeah, no, it's been it's been a position that it's like. They, they, they survived the beginning of the season and now it's just, you know, a place of riches unlike other positions for sure. So Bobby, let's, let's, let's get into some emails. I feel like you and Jeff Hewitt, <laughs> Jeff Hewitt have, have had to, he, Jeff Hewitt emails us seems like at least week weekly here, but he went after you last week and then had to come back and apologize. It's funny because obviously I, I picked the, which game did I not pick that he wasn't happy about? Well, he wasn't happy that neither of us picked the Ravens to beat the Steelers. And then the Steelers did end up winning. And then we came back and he was like, he got after both of us. And then you were like, well, he's going to be unhappy with me again because okay. I'm picking the Browns yeah, to okay. win. And then that's where the term Bobby Bricks came up. <laughs> Which is so funny because like I made one little comment about how I've been playing a lot of pickup basketball lately. And I think it was, I don't even know the comparison I was trying to make. It was probably a horrible comparison. But anyway, Jeff got the Bobby Bricks from, you know, a little basketball slogan there. So I did want to take, you know, the 15 seconds to kind of come back at Jeff. Thank him for being a loyal listener and hitting the, the vault email inbox weekly, uh, but also let him know that, uh, you know, hey, my prediction stands. OK, and we'll, we'll see in a couple minutes here what we say for Ravens Falcons. So stand by, Jeff. What do you got next in the inbox there, partner? Christopher Shelley says, I listen on Apple Podcasts. I wish I could leave comments there. I would thank you every day. Happy holidays to two super professionals. Oh. And your polished entertain yeah, and your polished entertaining show. So appreciate that, Christopher. Bobby Bricks and I really appreciate that. <laughs> Heck yeah. <laughs> Brian Harding. Let me see here. Brian Harding, where are you? Here we go. Uh, wide receiver targets 2023. Here we go. This is gonna be all off season and it's never gonna yeah. end. He, Brian says, with glaring with the glaring issue of the Ravens wide receivers, do you see them going after anyone in the draft, trading for someone, or signing a free agent for the 2023 season? I feel like we are getting further and further behind on the offense because of it. Our line and running backs are really good, but our wide receivers are suspect at best. Love the show. Go Ravens. Uh, Brian from Eagles slash Steelers territory. We're going to have plenty of time to talk about this this offseason, but absolutely they have to go after wide receivers. I definitely see Eric DaCosta going after it again. And by the way, I feel like Eric DaCosta has had a vision of like, I remember him saying back in the day, he's like, I want to build a track team. Right. And he, he drafted Hollywood Brown. He drafted Rashad Bateman. He drafted Devin Duvernay and Prochet and Tylen Wallace. And I feel like I'm forgetting somebody else. I feel like 
maybe there were six, but he's drafted, if not the most, definitely in the top two or three most wide receivers uh, over the last, basically since he became GM. And I think that he's had the correct vision on that. Um, I feel like he hit on Hollywood Brown, but based off of the way the offense is run, Hollywood wanna, would, would wanted to leave. It feels like he may have hit with Devin DuVernay and Rashad Bateman, but we can't say until they're healthy. Um, I'm not loving Prochet, but he was a six-round pick, so it's not like you know I'm, I'm expecting too much. Tylen Wallace, I think, was fifth round, maybe. Maybe he was fourth round. So, yeah, I expect him to draft some more. Here, at the end of the day, the problem is going to remain, and that is the the Hollywood Brown problem and sentiment. And it's that big-time guys don't want to be here. And so they don't feel like they're used very much. And so if the Ravens are going to continue their philosophy that they have, and I don't think the philosophy is necessarily flawed. I feel like the way they're implementing it is like, I'm okay if you want to be run, run first. I'm okay if you want to be defense first, but, but you can't have the worst wide receiver core in the league. Like that can't be okay. And if the Ravens haven't been the worst over the last several years, they've been one of the worst. And I think that for this to work, you have to have at least an average passing attack. And so the Ravens, it's documented, are cheap at the at signing wide receiver free agents. And then even when they offered a bit more, that wasn't enough. So if you're going to keep this offense the way it is with Greg Roman running it, the Ravens will continue to have a hard time. And it's not just Greg Roman. It is an, an organizational philosophy. So unless they decide to put more money there and put more emphasis there, you're still going to have big-time guys that aren't going to want to come here, which puts pressure on Eric DaCosta to really nail the draft. And let's just face it, there aren't like, you know, you know, the big-time wide receivers late in the draft rounds. And then they don't. the Ravens don't have a history of just finding these gems. They do it pass rusher. They do it other places. But Pittsburgh's the one that always seems to find these gems later in the draft, and the Ravens just, just don't have that. So unless there's just like this massive change in philosophy, I think it's going to continue to be the same story. Can you draft somebody, you know, late in the first round or in these other rounds and find somebody and we're going to do this again? Oh, look at James Prochet. He just needs the, the opportunities. Look at Devin Duvernay. He just needs the opportunities. And it just, it, it's, it, it's just not, it's just not working yet. Uh, unless there's a big change, I just don't think that it's going to, I think we're going to keep the same cycle that we've been through for, for decades of looking for wide receivers. Sorry to be such a Debbie Downer on that. No, by the way. I mean, it's a rinse, recycle, <laughs> repeat kind of process. So yep. uh, I think if they keep trending in this direction where they're going over the next you know few weeks and, and things start to unravel, there's going to be some sweeping changes. And, and this conversation is going to be one of many that we'll be having over the next couple months. But Let's get to one more email here. It comes in from Phil Allen. He said, good morning. In the Ravens-Browns pregame episode, Bobby referenced no longer having press credentials for the Ravens since his release from radio. As a longtime part-time listener to the 98 Rock Morning Show, I've never really heard what happened with Bobby's departure. Would it be possible to give us a little bit of a personal taste and let us know what the circumstances were? What, what do you think, partner? <laughs> Yeah, give it to us. I yeah, I mean, I've I've heard things offline, but 
yeah, give, I obviously don't have credentials because I live in Columbus. Um, but yeah, I, I want to hear the yeah. story too. As Phil mentioned, I did mention that uh, the other day in our in our preview episode that my access to teams facilities at the Ravens w- were revoked in March. And that was the same month that I was dismissed from the Ravens radio stations. And for those of you who aren't local to the Baltimore area, that's WBAL and 98 rock, like, like Phil referenced there. And I spent three and a half years there, Sarah, it was extremely valuable for me and my career, very rewarding. Uh, At the time in the summer of 2019, it was my first legitimate big break in the business, if you will. I had been cutting my teeth down in D.C. for a couple of years after graduation as a production assistant uh, at NBC Sports Washington. And and just this was a big deal for me at the time and one that I certainly didn't take lightly. And, and, you know, for those of you who are local to the area, you know that that was I ended up filling or trying to fill the shoes of Keith Mills, who, you know, is just has had an incredible impact here on the Baltimore sports community. So it was always something that I had a ton of pride for and will always have. With all of that said, there were some significant differences that played out over time between myself and management there when it comes to what I thought the position could be from a digital sense. When I signed up for the gig, Sarah, uh, I really had visions of taking the anchor position and you know, becoming more digital savvy. Let's face it, you know, radio, I'm not going to call it a dying breed, but I'm 28 years old. Like the amount of people that now reach out to me with our podcast and, and our YouTube channel and what I'm doing on the side on game days and throughout the week, because, you know, they've heard and they're consuming what we do and they're in their 20s. You can't even compare it to what I was doing in radio. And that's no disrespect to the folks over at the radio stations. There's a lot of super talented people there. But I was looking to kind of cultivate an audience that was more in, you know, that millennial phase and up. Uh, Unfortunately, it just came to a point where did I want to fulfill the rest of my contract? Absolutely. And I had every plans and intention of doing so. But they decided to pull the plug. One guy, to my understanding, one guy decided to pull the plug, uh, which which just so happened, just so happened to be his last week. Uh, as an employee of the company. So that's, you can make that what you will of it. And I certainly have my feelings about it, but I choose to, you know, have gratitude and appreciation for the time that I spent there. Uh, Keith Mills has become, gosh, so much more than just a mentor. You know, Uh, we do these weekly live streams, as you know, on Wednesday nights, like I referenced, and uh, we've developed a great friendship and, and gosh, he's just one of the, the many people that I still speak to from, you know, from, from 98 and, and WBAL. So again, I appreciate the question, Phil, and I certainly haven't meant to, you know, keep things closed off or, you know, not open up about this. Obviously there was a, an agreement that was signed and I want to be respectful of that in a lot of ways. And, and I'm obviously appreciative of, you know, the severance that I was given Sarah, because as you know, I kind of use that to go home for the summer and, and look at my options and, kind of get not only the podcast off the ground with you, but my YouTube channel. And so it, it's been a very exploratory last eight months or so, but, you know, very rewarding. And uh, that's the way that I look back at my time there. And 
Um, at the same time, I am more energized and motivated and fired up about what we're building than ever before in my young career. And, um, you know, I'm, uh, I'm thankful for you, partner, and, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to what we're building. Yeah, I mean, I'm thankful for you, too. I, I hate to hear that everything was cut short and all of that. And then, as you said, you have to choose to be grateful. And, and uh, you know, I've I've, you know obviously been working with you and I'm just watching you just try to build this thing and bet on yourself. And I've just loved working with you because I think we have similar personalities and that it's just like, you just like, nothing's going to stop you. Nothing's going to stop you. And, and you're just going to keep working and you're going to will this to happen. And, and there's a part of me that's like happy that the 98 rocks of the world aren't capitalizing on the digital, the digital side of things. Cause that leaves independent content creators, as such as ourselves to like really take advantage. I mean, really take advantage. You know, there's so many like YouTube pages that it's just like, like I think of Engraven, right? Where it's yeah. just like just taking off. And I feel like these, these, the, like the 98 Rocks or even the Ravens organization, you know, that just don't even like quite because, and, and that brings us back to the question about the credentials. Like, so your credentials are revoked, not as like a, Thing against you it's just like you don't have that 98 rock name behind you anymore and so you and i have to prove to you know the ravens pr staff that you know what we've got a listenership and and we've got a lot of followers and so we're deserving of access you know and to be honest i mean i think we're, we're doing fine without it and uh and i can't have it so the access would would really be for you just geographically but it's like i just feel like there you know there's not as much you know, there's there's not a brand there yet, right? Like the 98 Rocks or the WBLs or whatever. And so that's why the credentials aren't aren't there quite yet. But as we keep building, I think uh, hopefully, you know, it'll be recognized um, that, you know, some 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 channels like ours or Engraven or any other independent ones are certainly worthy of credentials and access because uh, the 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 reach that you know, independent content creators have continued to grow exponentially. I'm actually glad you brought us back to, to square one there because that was kind of the basis of, of Phil's question because of what I mentioned the other day, you know, not, yeah. not having access. And you know, I want to be very clear, and I think gee, we're 100% in agreement on this. We don't need access because of the experience I think we have with the team, you for over a decade, me with the, the radio partner for over three years uh, to build what we're trying to build. That said, I think there are days, and this week obviously was a perfect example, Exhibit A, where I wished that I could have been in that press conference participating and respectfully have dug a little deeper when it comes to where these papers came from. You know, and and so there's just times yeah. where you, you wish you were there. And um, again, certainly not a knock on the Ravens PR department. I know this is this is typical protocol. Uh, league wide when it comes yep. to content creators. But at some point, we are going to get to a point in, in this industry that's growing more so than anything else you could argue within the broadcasting space, within sports media space, that they're going to have no other choice but to invite these people with big platforms in. Uh, because, you know, ultimately, I think there's bigger reach, there's a bigger ceiling. And uh, bigger audience potential in content creation than there is in radio right now. So, um, anyway, that's all to say. Yeah, I've got, yeah. I've got like no, I've got no ill will towards. Uh, I mean, Ravens PR. I mean, I've known them for decades. I've got no ill will, and they're just 
they have a standard for you to get credentials and, you know, we have to earn that and, and we will, you know, or, you know, we will as a show, but you as, as the person who's actually there. So, you know, we have to earn that just like as any receiver or whoever earns it. So as we continue to grow and build, we will, we will earn it. So, yeah. Should we wrap this thing up with our predictions here? We're, yeah, and I just, we're getting, we're getting long yeah, here. As we always <laughs> do, right? We always have this plan and then we go way yeah. above it. I just wanted to acknowledge Andrew Williams also wrote us as well about a bunch of the different playoff scenarios, which is why we mentioned it off the top. So Andrew, thanks for shooting us an email oh, yeah. and thanks to everybody for reaching out again. You can hit us up uh, by email at Baltimore Ravens vault at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We love feedback, whether it's positive, negative, or somewhere in the middle. We always take it. We always read it. And we try to obviously implement it into um, our daily tasks and, and workflow. So, uh, yeah, why don't you uh, get us started with your prediction? Yeah. All right. So, I mean, this should 1000% be an easy prediction, especially, you know, a couple of weeks ago, you look at Atlanta Falcons and it's like, yeah, that's going to be a W. I think based off of what we said, I'm very concerned about the Ravens being able to put points on the board. Ravens are averaging just under 14 points per per game since uh, the bye. The Falcons are averaging for the year just 15 points per game. (laughs) So uh, this is going to be another low-scoring one. I I really hope, I really hope the Ravens figure out the red zone woes. That is going to be the difference maker. I hope that you know, Roman sticks to to running the ball. I'm going to, out of sheer desperation, this is a home game. The Ravens need it. Out of sheer desperation, I'm picking a Ravens win. I mean, I don't know if this is <laughs> hoping for too much. This might be too much. 16 to 13 is 16 points asking too much here, Bobby. Uh, I, I don't know. Probably. You know, they need it. They need it. They need it. They need it. So I'm going to go with 16-13 out of sheer desperation. Uh, it is. It's, you know, desperate times calls for desperate measures. And that sounds like a desperate prediction to me. But uh, <laughs> I'm not going to be far off from it. You know, I think it's going to be about a three-point difference. I could certainly see that happening. It's it's Look, predictions are always so incredibly murky and, and difficult to do, especially when you don't know what's going on at the quarterback position, you know. So, again, a lot can change over the next 24 yep. hours. You know, in all in all honesty, we're taping this just so that we can kind of have some time with our family and whatnot. Typically, you know, we'd have this thing released maybe a day later or whatever, but it's the holiday season. And so uh, if that affects our predictions, then hopefully you guys can live with it out there. But look, JK over the last two weeks is averaging 8.75 yards per carry with 205, uh, two, two, 245 total on the ground. Need I say more? Feed your horses. Let him eat because he's been showing you that sign after these chunk plays where he's eaten, which gets me fired up because I just think about what he's going to be in 2023 with a full rehab uh, offseason under his belt. So, you know, allow him and Gus Bus to gash this Falcons defense, rattle the Ritter. Right. The Desmond Ritter backup QB. I shouldn't say backup QB. I mean, he was to start the season, but he's their their rookie. Right. Get him rattled. He's inexperienced. He's going to be probably, um, you know, a little indecisive. Bring the pressure from all over the place. Mike McDonald's going to have to dial up some packages, maybe some DB blitzes to to get Desmond seeing ghosts and stuff and, and seeing stuff coming out of his peripheral vision. But uh, I'll go with the Ravens here, you know, because they, they need look. If they don't win this game, Sarah, do or die mode is has arrived. And mm-hmm. when you mm-hmm. and really 
do or die is on a whole new level when it's division games. And they have two more division games after this to finish up the regular season, including the regular season finale against the Bengals at their place in Cincy. So this, I will go as far to say that like this is on the cusp of a must win. The Ravens understand that internally. I think they find a way to get it done. 20 to 17. Oh, nice. You gave them 20 it's points. I like much. it. Oh, how nice would that be? How nice would that be? 20 points. Let's get back there. Let's get back there. Oh, I like goodness. It. Well, listen, I hope that you and the the fam have an awesome Christmas. Like you said, we're going to talk actually before Thank Christmas you. Day. We will have our Christmas. Yeah, Eve. we're gonna have plenty of content on game day, including our instant reaction on Saturday night. So we're looking forward to that as always. But uh, yeah, I hope you guys have a great time. We're gonna be hitting the road here after we tape this. My brother and I heading north before this snowstorm comes in, and um, we'll talk in a couple days, partner. All right, drive safe. Drive safe. I'll talk to you. On Appreciate Christmas Eve. you for my partner Sarah Ellison. I'm Bobby Trossett signing off from this week 16 game preview episode. Ravens and Falcons is coming up one o'clock Christmas Eve. And hey, something for your calendars. New Year's Day, the Ravens and Steelers play at the bank round two. It's a one o'clock kickoff again, New Year's Day. And I will be live from Picket Brewing Company on Paca Street, just a couple blocks away from M&T Bank Stadium. We'd love for you to come by, grab an IPA, food truck, watch some analysis. Kadri's going to be dropping by, and maybe we can even get you to join virtually. We'll talk to you about that later on, Sarah. <laughs> We're signing off from this game preview. Thanks so much. Thanks so much.